All right, good morning. Um, you can open to the book of Jude, the book of Jude. And um, this morning I would like for us to have a brief look at um, just a few verses in the book of Jude, um, some context, and I want to emphasize three specific points as we work through these verses. Um, but I want you to start off in verse number 17 in the book of Jude. Verse number 17. In verse um, 17 we read, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there would be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. All right. So Judas giving us some background as to what's going on. There are mockers. They, these things will happen. These mockers will be there. Um, they will follow their own ungodly lusts. They will cause divisions. They separate themselves. And they will be sensual and having not the Spirit. Have a look at verse 10. Jude verse 10. It says, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. So they, there will be people who speak evil about things which they know not. And if in, in, the, in the context, you'll see they speak about things that are pertaining to God, pertaining to His law and all of that. But they speak evil of those things which they know not. And then it says, but um, what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. So we have a culture here that... In pure, let's say they follow purely their natural instinct, and through just following their natural instincts without any calibration, without any intervention from God, they corrupt themselves. And that is what we see. This is the crowd that Jude is addressing. So I just want to give that to you as context. And I think, as we saw in verse 17, it is so prevalent in our society, in the day and age we live in, is this mentality, this crowd that they follow their ungodly lust, they corrupt themselves, they, by purely following whatever their fleshly desire is, and they've all departed from this, and that is exactly what Jude is addressing in this book. And so, here's re the, what we're going to look at is, how do we respond to a culture that this is happening in? We know it's happening, there is not much that we can do uh, to counteract that in, in the culture at large, but what are we called to do? As Christians, and you'll see in verse 3 and verse 4, that we are to contend for the faith. So what, what this letter is all about is to say, this is what's happening. Now, people are going to apostatize. People are going to fall away from a firm position. That's what it means to, apostasy means, is to fall away from a fixed position. And that fixed position is to say, this is what God has said. This is the truth. And so people are going to apostatize from that. And what should our response be in light of that? So let's read verse 3. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we read that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be ready always to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. We need to be ready to give a defense, to answer the objections that come away. Why do we believe? Why do we have hope? Here we say we are told to contend for the faith. So clearly, as, as true believers, we should be able to give a defense. We should be able to contend for what God has given us in His Word. But the question is, number one, what is the faith? Right? What is this thing that we need to fight for? What is, wh- wh- why are we being called to battle? Okay? What is the faith? And then also, what is, why is there a need? What, what, is, what is being attacked that we need to fight against it? So, what is the faith? What is the need? But then also, what is the method? What is the way in which we fight against this? And those are the things I want us to look at today. But before we get into that, let's just ask the Lord's help. Lord, um, there's so much to say (laughs) about this. And um, Lord, please um, give me wisdom, fill me with your spirit, and help me to say that which is necessary. And Lord, I please prepare the hearts of the people here this morning and my heart as well, Lord, that we will be able to receive and Lord, that we'll be able to grow and be edified and be challenged by this call that Jude gives these believers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so before we answer those three questions as to what is the faith, what is the need, and what is the method, I think let's just work through the verses that precede this, verse 1 and 2. It says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. So this Jude is the brother of James, who, is, who was the pastor in Jerusalem, who is the half-brother of Jesus. So we're talking about a half-brother of Jesus Christ, all right? And he says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't call himself a brother. He takes that step of humility, because remember, Jude and James both rejected and denied Jesus Christ while he was in his earthly ministry. They only accepted him after the resurrection. And so, that, well, that should be true for all of us. There is no Christianity if there is no resurrection. And so Jude acknowledges that I rejected this man. I called him an outcast. I was ashamed to call him my brother. So how can I know, now go and claim him to be my brother? I'd rather say he is my Lord and I am his servant. And so that's the position that Jude takes in. Then also it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. There are three things, called, preserved, and sanctified. Have you been called? Have you heard the call of God for your life to say, you must repent, you must be born again, you have to believe, you have to acknowledge that your self-righteous attempt at, at pleasing God is never going to do that. Have you heard that call of Christ to repentance. And then, if you've believed in what He has said about Himself, what God has said about Christ, and that our redemption is only through Him, you are preserved. You are sealed. There is nothing that can take away the fact that you are in Christ, and that you are seated in heavenly places with Christ for all eternity. But that spiritual truth should have an outward effect, and that is your sanctification. God is working through you to make you more like Christ. Through the fact that He has called and preserved you, that should make your life change. 
And so those three things work nicely together to say call, preserved, and sanctified. The question is, are you called, preserved, and sanctified? Are you being made more like Jesus Christ? Because what he's going to address, he is addressing to these people. So if you're called, preserved, and sanctified, this exhortation that we're going to be looking at to contend for the faith is written to you. Not to just the pastor. Not to, it's written to everyone who is called, preserved, and sanctified. It says, verse 2, Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Now, those three things, I think, are at the, at the core of those who are called, preserved, and sanctified. Because we, have, we are so aware of the mercy that we have received from Christ. And because of what He has done, we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. We have tasted that love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? We've seen those things. And so His prayer is that this may abound, that this may be more and greater, that you see more how much mercy has been put upon you, how much love there is, how much peace you can enjoy in Christ. He's saying, I want more of that in you. I want to see that more. Now, is that your desire for your brothers and sisters? And are these things that characterize your life? Do people see mercy, love, and peace in your heart? These are things that need to be a part, and this is the crowd that he's addressing. And then he goes into verse 3 and he says, Beloved. He loves them. He cares for them. You can see that in the language that he uses. He loves these people. And, he, and when he thinks about his love for these people, it's conditioned on this thing, and it says, I gave all dil diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. When he thinks about these beloved brethren, he cannot separate that from the salvation that they share, this common salvation. And so my love to you is because of what Christ has done for all of us. There is that common salvation. And so when he thinks about these people, when he, what he wants to speak about and what he wants to talk about is how great a salvation do we share? My salvation is not greater than yours, and your salvation is not greater than hers. It's, we have a common salvation because it's all conditioned on Christ. And so he, he thinks about them in love. But notice, <laughs> he says, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. You almost want to say, but. <laughs> he says, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. So as he was thinking about this, and I almost want to say, he, as he was putting his pen down to write, it's like he started and he's like, no, but that's not it. And he's writing and he's like, but God wants me to speak about something else. And God wants me to, there's something else that is more pressing that needs to be addressed. And he's, he's, giving, he, he's giving all his diligence. He's trying to put everything into it. But it was more needful for him to write about something else. And if you think about the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture, holy men were moved Right? They were moved as they spake. Right? This. And so uh, he's here and he's, he's, but God is moving me to speak about something else. And that is to contend for the faith. Something else that I want you to see is, is that he calls them beloved. But then he goes and he says, I can't just talk about what we have in common. Love is not just talking about what we have in common. Love sometimes means we need to address the subjects that need addressing. Yeah. And unfortunately, we have conflicted the, the idea of love and acceptance. And yeah. 
the, the problem with that is, is if, if, some, if you truly love someone, it doesn't mean you think everything they do is great. <laughs> it, I mean, I love my child, <laughs> but definitely everything she does is not great. But it's because I love her that I don't want it to stay that way. Right. Do you understand? And so when he says, beloved, I want to write to you, but I can't just talk about our common salvation. It is needful for me to exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith. But it's because he loves them that he does that. Sure. So it comes from love, and that is why he exhorts them to contend for the faith. And so this is, we need to check ourselves because how often do you find yourself in a conversation where you change maybe your language or your emphasis or the content because you know that this person you're talking to maybe does not share that commonness. And what Jude is saying, he's not, he's not saying be arrogant and just go and you know, make divisions or whatever, but he's saying sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to speak about the things that are not common. Right. Because you love them, because there is a the faith, and we need to surround ourselves around that faith. Even if it's unpopular. All right, let's get into the first thing, and that is, what is, what is the faith? We are, um, Jude says, I exhort you, verse 3, that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. It doesn't say a faith, contend for a faith. It doesn't say contend for many faiths. It doesn't say contend for your faith. It says contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. You remember, we, we looked at this in verse 17, but it says, look at verse 17 just quickly. I want to show you something. It says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. The writings of the apostles at the time of Jude's writing was already available. Jude is one of the last books written in the New Testament, which means the, the writings of the apostles, other than the last writings of John, was already given. So he's saying, this, these things have been delivered to you. Okay? It was delivered to the saints. This, the faith, has been delivered. Let's have a look at Colossians chapter 2. Please keep your place. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 verse 7 says, Colossians 2 7, Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So here Paul is writing and he's saying, there is a the faith and this is what you have been taught. Okay? So here we have, we need to be rooted and built up in the faith. Have a look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 verse 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Have a look in verse 13, Ephesians 4, 13. It says, So we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So there we see the unity. There is supposed to be unity. We are not supposed to be trying to cause division. 
What, what is our intent? Our intent is to create unity. The question is, do we create unity by throwing out all the things that we disagree about, right? And just only surrounding ourselves with other things that are common, or do we find unity in the faith, which means if you are out of line with that which is in the faith, we want to bring you in and find unity that way. Okay? So we want, to f we want to have unity, but that means people need to be exhorted. Exhorted is to call someone up to say, this is where we need to be. This is what we need to be united around. So we want to call people up to that unity to contend for the faith. So when we speak about the faith, we're not talking about this thing that we often hear is, you know, my faith teaches me that. Or um, the way I see it is this or that, right? We, I understand why, why we speak like that, but the problem is the Bible is not that subjective. <laughs> the Bible is not open to everyone's private interpretation and your little spin on how you see something. It was written by people with a specific purpose, by the inspiration of God to say, these are the things that should be in our lives. And so we need to unite around that. So when we look at the faith, it is objective. It is God-given. It is authoritative. It is, it is instructive. It is telling us how to live. And it should be the supreme authority, and we should line ourselves up with that. And this faith will require you often to stand when everyone else is kneeling. And be, because if everyone else is starting to veer away apostasy from the faith, it means that you are going to be often in a situation where you are going to be the one standing when others are kneeling. Yeah. And we need to be able to contend for that. We need to have that fixed in our minds to say that this is where I stand. Now, I want to make an important connection, and, and this is Romans 10, 17, and John 17, 17. Now, you don't have to go there, but in, in Romans 17, it says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So here we see that faith and the Word of God, right, those things can't be separated. So there is not something as my faith, but then that is outside of the Word of God. You, you don't have that. If, if it comes to the faith, it is in the Word of God, all right? John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. truth. So the faith is the word, which is the truth. So there is faith, and that is truth. So when, when we are exhorted to contend for the faith, we are exhorted to contend for what's written in God's word and what is true. Correct, yes. Like, true, like not... Not for me, <laughs> from God. What is true? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it is found not only in the Word, but in the Word, which is Jesus Christ. And so when we are called to contend for the faith, it is predominantly a call to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's bigger than that, yes, but the gospel is central in that message. And we'll, I'll, we'll get a bit into that later. So the question is, do you know the truth? Do you know the faith well enough to spot an untruth? To spot a lie? Right? We, we, are, we are told that these people have crept in unawares. It means that people don't realize that they've crept in. It means that they were not well enough equipped with the truth and the faith 
that they could identify the lie. And so, can you? Can you spot a false gospel? Can you give an answer, as we are told in 1 Peter 3.15, for the hope? Can you give an answer for the faith, for the truth, when people ask you? Are you able to? And um, if not, take up the call, right? It's, it's, not a, it's not a shame not to, to be in a position where you're like, I don't know how. Like, that's fine. <laughs> no one is going to go, I'm saved and now I know everything, right? <laughs> that's not how it works. But are you working towards? Are you striving? Are you saying, I want to be able to defend the faith? I want to be able to take a stand even when it's not popular. I, if someone asks me about abortion, if someone asks me about whatever, whatever current topic there is, are you able to say, the Bible says this? Because what else are you going to go on? I mean, his opinion, her opinion, and just a bunch of opinions, and no one goes anywhere because it's just opinions. We need to have something to say there is truth. Let's take it back to that. Because you see, the thing is, if we don't stand up for it, those of us who have the truth, who's going to? That is why apostasy is so rampant in the church. Because those who have the truth either don't have the boldness to speak it, or the church is just full of these creepy people, right? <laughs> people who have crept in unawares. <laughs> the church is just full of them. And so there is no truth being proclaimed. Remember in 2 Timothy 2.15 it says that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That takes study, and study is a lifetime. Right. So it's not, it's not a, how dare you not know? Like it's, okay, but then find out. <laughs> and right. you surround yourself in spheres and people where you learn. And I think that is that call to contend for the faith. All right, now what is, what is the need? What is the need? You see in verse 3 it says, It was needful for me to write unto you. So we see there is a need. Have a look at verse 4. It says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained in this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the need? The first thing is, I want to say there's a civil war. And by civil war, you know that's internal, right? There's a, there's a civil war. And there is a, so there's an apostasy that is happening inside the, let's call it, church. Okay? By church, I'm not necessarily referring to those who have been baptized into Christ, that, that body of Christ. I am referring to churches as in the gathering of people on Sundays type of, right? There is apostasy because of these people who have crept in. There's a, and that's why I would want to say it's a civil war, because it's, it's, it, it's in the Christian sphere. Yeah. Not the saved, necessarily. The Christian sphere, it has, this has taken root. People in church are being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, being led astray, and because they're unaware. They're, they're, they don't know what the faith is, and so they're unaware of what's happening right in front of them. And that's important to notice. Most people are unaware. And I want you to keep that in your mind because when you minister to these people, don't immediately assume that they're 
willingly clueless and ignorant, right? Some are, but I want to say most people are swept away by being unaware of what is going on. That means that saved people in the church are being deceived by putting emphasis on things that are not primary but secondary things. But it also means that unsaved people are being taught a false gospel. That means they never come to salvation because a false gospel does not bring life. And so you have people who, who are in the church, who many of them well-meaning are in this church, but they, they're, not, they're not saved because they're being taught a false gospel because of these creepy people who have come in into the church. Um, Jude basically is telling them, we can't watch this happening and do nothing about it. He's saying, I wish I could avoid it. I wish I could just speak about our common salvation. But we need to contend for the faith because these people are in the church. These people are um, leading saved people astray and keeping lost people lost. And that is the problem. So he exhorts them. He calls them up. Have a look at 2 Timothy. Keep your place. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes a similar thing to Timothy, who is a pastor of a church. And so he's telling him, this is what you need to deal with. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I charge thee therefore before God. That's to exhort him. I charge you. And um, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach your word. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, this is the same language, do you see it? Yes. Of their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from what? The truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Have a look at First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says... Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So it's not just Jude is this oddball. Paul wrote about it. He is telling Timothy, in your church, you have to address these things. These things are going to happen. In 2 Peter chapter 2, there's a whole letter addressed to false teachers. So this is, and all of that is within the church. Right? So it's going to happen and we need to be able to identify it and we need to be able to stand up against it. So we're exhorted. Now notice, the apostasy is not away from the church. People are not falling away from going to church. The apostasy is away from doctrine. Right? The truth. The word. So the apostasy it doesn't say that people are not going to go to church. In fact, it, it is that people are going to go to church and be deceived there. So they have heaped to themselves teachers. They have a form of godliness, but they've denied the power thereof. So it, 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 it's, it's godliness. It's church attendance. It's, it's 
still going, heaping to themselves teachers, this teacher, that teacher. It, it's not outside of churchiness. <laughs> there's, still, there's still churchiness. But it, that's exactly where they're being deceived. That's exactly where the problem is coming in. And so the apostasy is not, I'm not going to church anymore. It's, I am not going to submit myself to the authority of God's word, his truth, and the scriptures. Now, the second thing about the need. So the first thing is there's apostasy, and that's why there's a need. But the other thing is, I want, you to, sh I want to show you what is being attacked. What is being attacked? In verse 4, it speaks about contending for the faith, verse 3. Um, then it says, For certain men have crept in unawares. And what do they do? These ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's the first thing that they do. They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Now, I, I didn't know what, how to better say this than to say that it's, it's a cheapification. It's a, it's a cheapifying. It's making the gospel, it's making God's grace cheap. And I'll explain to you why I say that. But they make God's grace cheap. That is, I believe that grace is free. And I believe that the gospel is simple. But I do not believe that it is cheap. I do not believe that there is no cost. I do not believe that it doesn't bring change. It's not cheap. We don't take it as a, yes, I said a prayer. Yes, I... No, that's not, that's not it. Right? It, it, there is something deeper than just a shallow profession of faith. And that is what it means to be a Christian. Because, why do I say this? It says lasciviousness. They're turning grace into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is a license to sin. So they are saying, because you have grace, you can do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. You have grace, you're going to heaven. doesn't matter what your life looks like. That's cheapifying what Jesus did on the cross. That is saying what Jesus did there on the cross yeah, that's okay. I accept it. But Saturday night, I'm partying, I'm in the club, I'm doing whatever, and Sunday I'm in church. I do two different things on two different days. That is making the gospel cheap. That is what's making the grace of God cheap. If you think this way, I seriously encourage you to, to question your salvation. Right? Because in Romans chapter... Six, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And that is the call. And that is what's not being preached. That's what's creeping into the church. Jesus, 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 he died for your sins. Come say a prayer, repeat after me. You're a Christian, now you can go back doing whatever you want. That's a false gospel. Correct. Secondly, what is the other thing that's being attacked? Have a look at the end of verse 4. It says, turning the, God, uh, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And then it says, and denying the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. For the first thing I want to say is there's, there's some exclusivity being preached here. There is our only Lord. right? And so that is also not very a common thing to preach. And that is that to say, Jesus is the only way to the Father. There, there is no other name given unto men whereby we must 
be saved. There is no other name, right? In times past, God winked, right, at the ignorance of man. But now, commandeth all men to repent, everywhere to repent, all right? So Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. The road to heaven is not paved with good intentions. <laughs> it is not paved by your own self-righteous attempts. It is, it is not paved by church attendance. It is, not, it is paved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the only way. So, yes, I am saying that a Muslim is not going to heaven as long as he doesn't turn. There's nothing to do with his ethnicity. And I am saying that an atheist and a, whoever does not accept Christ the Savior is not going to heaven. Because, not because I want that to be true, but because the Bible says that. And that should spur us to speak the truth. Now also, there's the exclusivity part, but there's also the Lordship part. It says, the Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is supposed to be the master of your life. And you are supposed to be his servant. As Jude says in the beginning of the chapter. Servant. Slave. Right? You, Jesus is the master. And you are his servant. And your life should show that. If you're, by your actions, by your decisions you make or do not make, by the things you do or do not do, you are showing who your master is. It's one thing to say Lord. It's another thing to have him as Lord. And that is the thing. And that once again, that is not common in the church at large to say that. It's to say that Jesus requires you to follow him. To, to have, make a full commitment like we saw last week. Right? That is what Jesus wants. A full commitment. He is Lord. You are servant. You don't dictate. You listen. You do. And you hear from him. And that is what you do. You cannot serve two masters. He is either Lord of all, <laughs> or He's not Lord at all, right? Your life. He is either Lord of it all, or you have not put Him, accepted Him as Lord in your life. So, how, or let me say the need. The need is there is apostasy. We have to fight against that. But also what's being attacked is the grace of God, the exclusivity of Christ and the Lordship. Of him over your life. Now the question is how? Lastly, how? What is the method? How do we fight? First of all, I want to say it's not just a head thing. You don't contend for the faith by pointing out purely the mistakes in other people's way of thinking. You don't just go, no, you're thinking about it wrong, and this is the Bible says that. Like you don't become this 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 intellectual warrior for the Bible. Okay? That, is, that, is not, that is not how you're going to win someone's heart. I've seen this in many debates. Unfortunately, I've done this, where I've got caught up in a discussion and I so badly wanted to convince a person of this is what the Bible teaches, that you lose the heart. That person, what, the, what does it profit if that person says, I changed my way on how I view abortion, transgenderism, whatever, and they still go to hell. Right. What have you gained? 
So it doesn't help you just get into this intellectual battle of Bible bashing this way and that way. And so, but at the same time, I'm not saying just put the intellect aside and just say, here's the Bible, boof, boof, boof. Like, don't be an ignorant Bible basher, right? But understand that when you get in, and I think you should get involved in intellectual discussions. I think you should be able to speak on things that are relevant and things that are current and because you want to turn that into an opportunity to share the gospel. So you don't want to get stuck there where you're just in the argument. You want to get from there and say, that's what Paul did in Acts 17. He sees these people wholly given to idolatry. He sees and he, and he, and he uses their material. He uses their imagery and he says, I'm going to use what you understand. I'm going to use the subject that you've brought up and I'm going to turn it into an opportunity to share the gospel. So you should know what's going on and you should be intellectual, like know what the Bible says to the point that you can turn it to the gospel. So I, I, I heard that there's an official term for this. It's called bait and switch. <laughs> you bait them with, and then you switch it to the gospel. So you need to be able to bait. You need to be able to understand what's going on so that you can um, call them in and then share the gospel. So that's the first thing. It's not just the head thing. Don't get stuck there. You need to, point number two, under the method is you need to speak the truth in love. Have a quick look at Ephesians chapter 4. We were there a bit earlier. Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4 verse uh, 14. So there we saw, we read earlier in verse 13, the unity of the, of the faith. Verse 14, it says that henceforth... We be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So we want to speak the truth in love. What does this mean? That does not mean you change the truth so that it sounds more loving. Okay? Because that's often what happens, right? right. It's like, I don't want to say that because it's true, but if I say it, they're going to think I'm not loving. So you don't change the content of your message. You don't change what the truth is because it's the truth. That's right. But the way in which you bring it across, it was interesting to me to think about 1 Corinthians 13, how what is charity? Yeah. It is long-suffering. It is kind. It envies not. It is not puffed up. It seeks not its own. It's not easily provoked. So it means the method or the way in which you speak the truth is patient. It's kind. It's not for yourself. It's not to puff yourself up. It's not because um, you don't want to get provoked in that discussion. You want to be merciful, kind, patient. So it means the truth stays the truth. But you make sure that your heart is right as you bring this across. Another thing, have a look at, we're almost done, in verse 20, Jude. Sorry, you can come back to Jude. So in Jude, we're talk, looking about at the method. First thing is, it's not a head thing. Second of all, you speak the truth in love. Thirdly, look at verse 20, Jude, verse 20, it says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. It means much prayer and intercession of the Holy Spirit. You cannot 
fight this fight. You cannot contend in this battle if you do not have the Spirit working in you. Right. Right? John 16, 13 says that the Spirit, that comforter, will guide us into all truth. Into all truth. So if we want to proclaim the truth and contend for the faith or the truth, we need the Spirit's guidance to help us through it all. He has to guide us. Lastly, verse uh, 21. Last point on our method, and that is verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You need to keep yourself, and I want to say, it says in the love of God. I say you need to keep yourself close to that love of God. You need to keep yourself there. It's in that fellowship. It's in that state of obedience and desire to please Him, that being close, that being in the love of God, that you are able to take this message out. Because you need that because if you cannot see, if you're not aware of God's mercy, that's what it says, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to keep yourself close there so that you're aware of His mercy. Because if you're not aware of His mercy, you will not be able to effectively show mercy when you deal with this issue. And that's why you need verse 22 and 23. It says, and some, and of some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. If you are not close to the heart of God, if you are not close in that fellowship with Him, and aware of His mercy, how are you going to know when it's time for compassion and when it's time for fear, boldness? That balance you're only going to find when you get close to God because He knows what that balance is. He knows when to give someone a fright and He knows when to show compassion. And if you don't have that balance, you will not be able to effectively contend for the faith. Keep yourself close to Him. So, there is a faith. It is the faith. There is a need. And there is a method. And there is definitely a battle. And that battle is closer to home than we think. And we should be able to stand up and fight that fight. Fight for the truth. So, are you part of this contending for the faith? Are you part of it? Because if you don't fight, don't be shocked five years, ten years down the line when you see a church, when you see your children, Lord willing, never, your children, when you see yourself not in line with the faith, not in line with the truth. Because you did not take up the call to contend for the faith and you thought, Someone else will do it. And don't let that catch you off guard. Let's fight the good fight. Amen. Let's all stand. Amen. Let's all stand just for a second. Boy, I got fed this morning. I, I believe you did too, right? If you were listening, you got, some, you got some great stuff this morning. Hope you put it to practice throughout this week. And uh, be thoughtful, be mindful about how you might begin contending for the faith. Let's pray and we'll have some fellowship. Father, thank you for what we've heard and uh, Lord, let these seeds now sink deep into our hearts and Lord, we don't expect that in one uh, moment or even one day that that, uh, we're able to apply everything we've heard, but over the next several years, we want to be busy applying this 
all the way to the end until we hear the trumpet sound. We want to apply this and fight that good fight for the faith. Lord, uh, help us to be mindful of what we heard, prepare us for what we're going to hear, and bless our fellowship and the rest of our service now. In Jesus' name, amen.